This is Horns Up. I'm Animesh. And I'm Peter. And we are going to ride our steed into the podcast today for we are entering a world shaped through high fantasy, imagination, storytelling and a passion for music. It all comes from Toronto-based band Possessed Steel, whose recent concept album Adris is one of the many highlights of the year and goes on to prove that there's definitely something in the Canadian air. There's just so many bands doing some super awesome stuff, isn't it, Peter? Yeah, I mean, we recently spoke to Fuck the Facts, but uh, prior to that, we've also spoken to uh, Canadian band Spell. So there's definitely something in Canada. Do you miss being in Toronto? Yes. <laughs> and I'm keeping <laughs> that answer short. <laughs> okay, okay. This one's a long chat and yeah, it's a bit noisy at times. So deal with it. We have the band's vocalist Talon and guitarist Steve Mack with us. Here they are. It's Possessed Steel. Let's fucking go. And now from Possessed Steel, it's Talon and Steve. Hi guys, welcome to Horns Up. We'd first like you guys to introduce yourselves so that our listeners can learn and identify your voices from here on. Uh, hey guys, I'm Talon, uh, playing a band, Possessed Steel. Uh, super stoked to be here. Checked out some past episodes of the podcast and uh, yeah, it should be a great time. And I'm Steve Mack. I play guitar in Possessed Steel and uh, just really happy to be with you guys this evening for a chat and uh, just want to thank you for having us. Our, our yeah. pleasure. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. Making you guys so, drink beer on Monday evening. <laughs> <laughs> Twist my rubber arm. <laughs> right. So, I mean, uh, according to recent news, you guys are in lockdown number two. So, how have you guys been coping so far? Uh, you know, it's... I think we're kind of acclimatized to just being in a situation where even whether you have a lockdown or whether you're in sort of a, you know, like a hotspot or a zone where they're advocating for you to stay inside and all that, it's all kind of just a continuation of the same narrative. So even though it's locked down and the, the streets are really quiet, um, it doesn't feel that much different from how things were back in, you know, like back in April when the, the pandemic was going into full swing. Yeah. Uh, I feel like people are actually like a little bit more relaxed now. Like I find myself sort of like giving people like a little bit of a glare when I'm in public. Cause people are just sort of getting, a. I guess you get used to situations, even no matter how bad they are. Like people are so capable of adapting to anything. And like, that's why I think the human race is like, it's so prolific, you know, we're so good at adapting so quickly. And sure. now people are like, yeah, well, this is, this is our normal for now. So. But we're yeah. still in the shit, you know? Yeah. All right. It's We are the evolved cockroaches. We keep living yeah. no matter what happens. <laughs> for sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, so, you know, earlier this week, you released your uh, debut album, Idris. And I must say it's an excellent release. But one thing that's like took me by surprise when I got the album comes... 10 years after the band was first formed. So why did it take so long to put out an album? Uh, well, it's sort of like when we started the band, like what I started the band with uh, my good friend, Chris, back in the day, we were just like, I don't know, I think we were like 19 or 18. And uh, we just loved heavy metal. We, we just like partying and listening to heavy metal. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to play guitar. 
So I went out and I bought a guitar and just practiced and we just jammed. He was just learning how to play drums. I was just learning how to play guitar. And we never really anticipated it to go really anywhere. And uh, so like four years into jamming through multiple lineup changes, um, we released an EP, which was more of a demo. It was live off the floor, recorded in one night. And uh, and then um, we went on to record. Uh, oh, no, I guess. Yeah, that was it. And then basically we played a lot. We played a lot of shows. We didn't take it seriously. And then the band sort of just disbanded because like I was feeling kind of uninspired. We were hopping around with like person to person like and I don't know. It just felt like I had to I had to do something else. And I'm glad I did because moving on from that, like it, I took some time to mature as a person and take a break and really sort of like get some things together in my life. And I decided I wanted to form the band again because I really enjoyed playing music, but this time I would go approach it with like, I want to take it more seriously. I really, I really want to become a better singer, a better guitar player. And I want to find like the right group of guys where we can like kind of make something happen. And then uh, I found like Steve and Richard and yeah, I don't know if you want to chime in on that, Steve. From what so happened true there. story, true story. I, uh, you know, I joined the band with, uh, with Richie in 2015 and I had sort of, I had moved into Toronto, um, from Brampton. So I was, li- I lived outside of the city and I kind of came downtown, you know, for a few reasons, but one of the main things I wanted to do was become more involved in the heavy metal scene in Toronto. Um, so, you know, I started out going to sort of the massive tours that were coming through town and, and trying to meet people through just going to shows on my own, even, and, you know, with friends here and there, but, uh, just trying to network a little bit and maybe find some like-minded musicians. It took a little while because those big sort of tour shows are just kind of crazy. And there's a ton of people and they're, you know, like you kind of go, you see the band, you go nuts and then you leave. Um, I started going to more of the underground shows and seeing more of the sort of the first wave of, um, you know, traditional metal that was coming out of the, the, the scene at the time, bands like Cauldron, uh, Midnight Malice action stuff like that and i remember i was just at a show and i had been you know i'd just been hanging out and kind of drinking the night away and as everybody everybody was you know sort of end of the night and everybody's kind of you know all uh, amped up from what they just seen and definitely fueled by a couple of couple of pilsners by that point and i just feel this tapping on my shoulder and i turn around and i'd never met talon in my life you know this is the first time i've ever seen this guy and I think that the previous guitar player had mentioned to him that, oh, that that dude over there plays guitar, and I think he's looking to get into a band. So Talon just like just bold faced, you know, just straight up says to me, "Hey man, you want to play guitar in Possessed Steel?" <laughs> and I just, I I swear to God, I didn't even hesitate one iota. I was just like, "Yeah, yeah, that's what I want. I'd like to do that." Um, and that it was just sort of this random ass meeting, and then. Um, yeah, I joined him and uh, and Don, who had been in the the previous lineup. Hmm. Um, I met Rich that night on the drums, and we had a we had a really good jam. You know, I practiced a few of the songs off the the band's EP, and uh, yeah, from there just sort of set off from that point forward. And like Talon said, I think we were really focused on you know trying to bring our musicianship to the fore and try to challenge ourselves. Um, but in t- to get back to the original question of, of why it took so long, I think, uh, you know, it took some time for us to kind of find our own voices that in that form, you know, in that lineup of four guys. 
we spent a lot of time looking at the back catalog of possessed steel tunes and, uh, you know, kind of putting a different spin on them. Um, mm. so when you listen to order to the moon, which was the EP we put out in 2017, that was really sort of the, the consummation of that effort, you know, of trying to, trying to put our own spin on some of the existing catalog. Mm. And then from 2017 on, that's when we were really focused on writing Adris and having that focus on, all right, we want to put out an album now. Even though it's like there's a decade of time that you're you're looking at, uh, I don't think we were really serious about putting out a full length until you know maybe the last four years or so. Yeah, for sure. Why do you guys think that happened? Um, I think it was just like it. Not, it didn't really like it didn't feel right. It never really like felt okay. super right. And like when we when like when we all got together, Steve, Richard, Don, and me. It, we we had really good chemistry like right off the bat and we just jam and like steve would be like oh check this riff out and then i'd be like oh what if we went into this after that and it was just like it was kind of like things would just kind of happen very naturally and like before we knew it we were sitting on a bunch of songs and we were like you know what let's do the album now like like we didn't feel ready but like i feel like it's one of those things you'll never really feel like truly ready because like we're always like oh it could it be better could it be this could it be that but we're like of you know course. what no yeah the album's yeah. like a snapshot in time yeah, of exactly. what the band's yeah. doing and we were just ready we we're like you know what let's do it mm. that's interesting yeah, yeah. yeah. No, i mean Aegis is a concept album and it's set in medieval time so yeah uh, can you just tell us Please briefly about it without giving too much away, I guess, of the story. Uh, sure. Yeah. Do you want to like? You're pretty good at talking about that album, Steve. You have a good way of yeah, <laughs> a good way of very being very long winded. Um, <laughs> I'll try to keep it. I'll try to keep it concise. Really, I think when you're talking about Adris, you're looking at um, you know, we're not really, we're obviously not talking about Earth, right? So this is some kind of, I don't know, if it's like a multiverse thing or if it's just a different, a different galaxy or universe entirely um but it's certainly modeled after our own planet you know the earth so you know we're not talking about aliens per se um but adris is the titular titular character of the story he is the son of a king that uh has a very kind of profound understanding of the world that they exist in and some of the challenges that he's contended with and essentially there's a bit of unfinished business in the sense that um the world is in disharmony. Like there's, there's a lot of problems uh, unfolding in the natural realm and they're starting to encroach on the civilization that Adris's father kind of oversees or the kingdom that he oversees. Um, basically, you know, you have three gods that are referred to as the sullen architects kind mm -hmm. of a, among the band. Yeah. And these are, these are the three brothers that have created this world, but they're now, they've grown displeased with their creation and they have come to resent their, what they've done. And they essentially, they want to undo it. Um, you know, for lack of a better term, they want to just sort of do away with this world and move on to something else. Kind of like an artist that's just like bored of their sound and wants to move on. Um, yeah. obviously we're, you know, it's, it's, it's all more massive than that. Um, so, how they go about doing this is they start corrupting the lesser deities that occupy the land. So when you're listening to the album, there are songs that are specific to some of these lesser gods that are actually mm -hmm. roam the earth. And they're not really supposed to be evil or, and they're not supposed to be wreaking havoc upon the land. 
but they are being compelled to do this by the sullen architects that are basically they just they've given up on these people and they're going to use the lesser gods to do their bidding. So Adris sets out uh, as there's a prophecy that dictates that a man will bring balance back to the land, uh, back to the earth, and he will restore things to what they once were. And that's where Adris comes in. Um, he sets out to confront these lesser gods. And specifically, he sets out to confront the skeleton king, who is basically the uh, the ringleader of what's going on. Is he based off uh, Skeletor? Uh, <laughs> it was actually, I actually like, based the Skeleton King off of uh, like the original like Diablo 1. I don't know ah, if you guys ever played okay. that game, but if you go down, there's like yeah. this level where the Skeleton King exists and like, he, it's actually kind of similar where you go down into the catacombs and you go into his lair and there's just like King Leoric was his name. And I was like, damn, that is so cool. And I, it always was kind of in my head. So I guess it was loosely kind of based on that. Huh. All right. Okay. Um, so what, what really served as an inspiration or influence for this concept? Is it all like Diablo 1 and uh, other role-playing games or uh, multimedia, whatever, the MMORPG, etc.? Uh, stories. How did you guys arrive at it? And most importantly, why choose to make this this make this subject as such, or the story, the focus of the album? Because it is your debut album, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I would say for me, I've always been very, very heavily into fantasy. Ever, ever since growing up, my dad had an extremely large collection of Conan the Barbarian comics. Mm. Uh, there's there's like Frank Frazetta paintings like hung throughout my house when I was a kid, and like. He was just very into that world and I was just I was drawn into it out of things and I was always into fantasy like and it was like books. I would write my own stories when I was like eight years old. I would like play with action figures. I'd go outside in the forest and pretend I was someone else. And like I've always just been kind of very, very heavily invested into like my imagination and a uh -huh. fantasy world. I, I don't I've never been that into reality. And uh, so it's just I don't I don't think I've ever really wrote a song that was like kind of really rooted in reality. It's always some weird alternate universe. OK, really for Idris, then what came first? Was it the music or the story? It's definitely the music, I would say. What about you, Steve? Yeah, I think uh, the interesting thing is that we actually had a couple of songs you know, we had already started working on the music before the idea of tying them all together uh -huh. with the unified story began. So um, Keeper of the Woods was a song that we had kind of been incubating for a while. Um, you know, Skeleton King, there there were a handful of riffs that were kind of floating around. Um, so, yeah, I think there was some uh, some musical basis before we started to work things into, you know, the concept. So, yeah, definitely... I wouldn't say that we finished all the songs and then, you know, now let's overlay lyrics that tie everything together. It was mm -hmm. definitely, you had a couple of songs and a couple of musical ideas that inspired maybe taking things up another notch and, um, you know, being a little more ambitious with trying to loop everything into a, a unifying concept or story. Okay. So yeah. as a follow-up, I must ask, um, when you guys then did decide that, Hey, okay, we'll be telling this entire story. Uh, did you have to, work the music again or like you know redo some parts etc to fit the story in places yeah i think we did do that like there were some parts where we were like you know what like this is happening right now so we kind of gotta we gotta switch something up and like 
And like, actually, like when you when we would start to like actually put lyrics into these songs, they took a uh-huh. totally different shape. And like, there was some parts where we would just like we're like we have to build this up or we have to take this away. And it sort of just like started growing on its own. It's like we breathed life into something and just like watched it go. It's almost like it's it's like we don't even take ownership of something that you create. Sometimes it just sort of like it passes through you. You're like this pylon for something to just like hit and go through. And there's a lot of times where it's like, I don't even know what happened half the time. Like it's just, the song just created itself in some weird way. Once you start going like Spellblade, we didn't even fully finish. Like we finished that song in the studio. Like we never played that song fully as a band, really. It just sort of came together in the studio and it, it never felt right. And I never really set anything in stone until we were in the studio. And it was just like, Oh, here it comes, which was pretty crazy. Lyric wise, anyway, it, Steve wrote that song, like the the music for it. But lyrically, it never really came together until then. Interesting. Uh, okay, so you know, with you know the challenge that you once you go down the concept album route, right, is that you can't really get typecast with that. So, is that something that you want to go for with Possessed Steve? You want to hit that up, Steve? Yeah, yeah. I think um, you know. I I think when we're talking about concept albums as being something that we have an interest in, you know, when you think about a lot of the bands that have influenced us, um, when you especially when you think of some of the more progressive influences, like we're if we're thinking about Rush, um, thinking about Pink mm. Floyd, which are you know Pink Floyd are masters of the concept record. Um, you know, I'm, there's definitely we have enough passion and enthusiasm for that kind of thing um, that I can definitely see us continuing to go in that direction, whether or not you have, you know, future output that is all of the songs are connected to one story, or maybe you even have a couple of songs, you know, like maybe two songs, three songs on the album, all referencing the same kind of thing. I think fundamentally what you have as something that we all agree on and want to continue doing as a band is that we want to tell stories through the music. So you're not going to find us or you're likely not to find us singing, you know, with esoteric lyrics like you might find in, you know, like a Celtic Frost or something where um, the lyrics are kind of strange. They're hard to pin down. They're Mm. just sort of referencing things that are really open to a lot more interpretation or they're, you know, they're not uh, as explicit is telling you a, a distinct story. Um, so yeah, I can, I can absolutely see it being a, a common thread through, you know, the music we've yet to put out. And we've already, you know, we've already expanded on the Adris story. You know, like we've already, uh, we already have ideas for what happens after this record. You know, we've got pretty good ideas for, you know, what happened leading up to this record in terms of Adris's father and what his journey was like and how he kind of ended up where he ended up. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll either explore those ideas or go in a different direction, but I think the storytelling element is, is going to be there. So is there like a nudge of an idea to like maybe create a possessed steel shared multiverse or something of that sort? <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah. I want to write a, I honestly like, I Absolutely. wanted to write a book. I wanted to write like a book that would just sort of tell the whole tale or at least about like go into depth of like this chapter. Cause I, I, one thing that was like hard was to like fit everything in one song. Like I wanted to tell, I wanted to give the listener like the most information I could in the song. So it was like, it was kind of hard to do that. And I'd like to expand on it. And uh, yeah, I want to just, I want to just explore that world a lot more, you know? 
I think it'd be it'd be so much fun, and it has been fun. Okay. All right. So, um, you know, one of the most enjoyable aspects of Idris for me personally was the production. It's it's so warm. It's old school, and I must say, it fits in perfectly with the mise en scene of sorts uh, that the subject matter dictates. Uh, what were your notes really for the sound engineers uh, or the producers or the mastering engineers, etc.? What were your blueprints or references like uh, when you were trying to get them to, you know? execute your vision of what this record needs to sound like uh i know for like when we went in there we talked to joel about what we wanted and we were like listen we want this sort of reverb soaked sound because like i remember like the armor of ire came out and we were all completely floored by it and we were like you know what the benchmark has been totally set with that album <laughs> like and I thought it sounded so great and like the album itself sounded so ethereal and I was always infatuated with that and uh we sort of set that as like our starting point but we sort of just grew out from it in in some strange way like i don't think it actually sounds a lot like that which is good it sort of took its own thing but um we definitely we we gave examples of just a lot of bands that we enjoyed like i don't even know do you have more on that steve like i can't even really remember what we were throwing out there I think we benefited from the fact that so Joel Kazmi was the producer that worked with us on the album, and you know he's mm. a he's a, a Generation X guy, right? Like he he grew up in the '80s, um, so he was there for kind of that golden decade of heavy metal, um, where you know a lot of the the sounds that we admire, and you know Tal and I didn't really grow up in the '80s, but most of our favorite metal is from that decade, um, so you know it was easy enough just to mention certain bands or certain records. And Joel immediately could connect with that, having grown up with those albums and was a big fan of them himself. Um, but it's true. I think when it, you know, we can be honest about the fact that a lot of modern metal or a lot of the, uh, you know, stuff that's maybe not as underground, the production has become incredibly modern. And it's yeah. it's not unlike what you find in, in any kind of, um, you know, top 40 hit. And that there's a lot of things I don't really like in that kind of production. You know, there's a lot of, uh, compression going into the sound so you know the music sounds intrinsically loud but you're losing out on a lot of dynamics so you know your pick attack and the the nuance that you apply when you're you know strumming a passage or playing a solo that gets lost when you start overlaying the kinds of modern production techniques that seem to be leveraged more and more these days so we knew that you know aside from wanting to sound like bands we really liked we just generally prefer that kind of older sound of you know, it's not going to be, we're not going to quantize the drums and have mm, everything, you just know, coming to that perfectly. Yeah. yeah we're not going to do these things that kind of take the soul and feeling out of the music because we want the soul and feeling to be very apparent to the listener and present. Even if that means, you know, a clam here, a mistake there, maybe not sounding uh, as polished as it can be. I think we're all willing to sacrifice that for the sake of achieving a sound that evokes what our favorite band, our favorite band sounded like yeah. back in the day. Mm. It's, it's, I, it's authentic. Yeah. And I actually think it came yeah. across quite modern sounding. Like, I think that's something that's like different too, is like, we also, as much as we like wanted to preserve that sound, we we're also kind of down with trying some new things. And I don't know, when I listen to the record, there's a lot of parts where I'm like, Oh, you know what? That's quite different than what we were originally going for. But I think it works too, because it's like, 
I think you also have to be able to adapt with the times. So you don't run into like just recycling old stuff and just like emulating the past, you know? Because I mean, we are living right now in 2020 and we are playing music and it's it's fun to mess around with that stuff too. <laughs> we did a lot of cool stuff, I thought. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, you guys do a lot of cool stuff. And I must say, as a bass player, I have to commend the excellent bassmanship on this record, which is what it's some, which is something that really stood out for me the first time I heard it. Um, but here's the thing, right? The more time I spent with the album, I found that actually it's not just the bass, but every instrument, including your vocals, and I, I generally include the vocals as an instrument too, uh, every instrument gets its moment of glory and shine as such. But really the bigger takeaway for me was how balanced and collaborative and this isn't a word that I usually throw around when I'm, you know, just trying to wrap my head around a record. But everybody and every instrument seemed so respectful of each other. You know, it's, it's, it feels like a lot of time has been spent in the jam room, revising, making sure that the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed on, on these songs as such. Um, was it really that kind of a songwriting process? Yeah, I would say you like actually nailed that on the head. Like, um, it we're it's funny that you actually say that because we are like, we're always like, do you like this part for yourself? Like, we are very respectful of each other and we do like respect each other in the jam room in the sense because we all enjoy each other as musicians and we always like giving each other time to shine. And, uh, yeah, like, um, like I would always ask Steve, you know what, maybe you should take your solo here or like this and that or Rich, I'm like, do you feel like your drums are getting enough here? And we meticulously would go back into the jam room and really put a lot of time in to make sure that everything, everybody had their room to breathe while mm. being together because like we wanted to form like this entity as opposed to like a bunch of guys just slapping something together. You know, we wanted exactly. to kind of move as yeah. one unit. Yeah. And yeah. I, I truly think you guys have managed to pull that off and that's a pretty rare occurrence in today's times when, you know, you can, like, if you don't like playing with somebody, you can find a guitarist on online for like $5 to play a certain part. Yeah. But that's oh, not a band. Sure. Yeah. No, yeah, no you, that's, that's definitely cheating. Or yeah. you can sit in like four different parts of the world and like just send in recordings to everyone. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And that's cool. That is so yeah, cool. And I, cool. I see too. that stuff that on cool YouTube. Too. But yeah. I do feel like it loses. There's there's always something missing there. And I think it is that human connection of like True. sitting there in the same room, breathing the same air, like just digging into it together. You know, I think that's really hard to emulate. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So uh, here's a question I'm sure someone's asked you before. Um, is that a real horse galloping away on assault of the twilight keep? And are those real <laughs> birds chirping on free at last? Uh, no, okay, no. Uh, they they are they are real. They're real, but we definitely found them online. I was I, I searched for a long time. Um, I love cardinals. They're a bird that's like super common in in uh, Canada. I don't know if they're common anywhere else, but there's certainly a lot around here in the springtime. And uh, that was a sound I really wanted to put on the album. Um, and yeah, that horse, it was real at some point in time. Is the coolest sounding <laughs> horse ever. But no, it wasn't. It wasn't recorded live. Right. It's interesting um, because it's, uh, I do want to, you know, tell, I, I, you gotta, 
I do want to mention that when it comes to talent in particular, the man mm. is truly like a, a, a diehard outdoorsman. You know, this is a guy that, uh, and that's, that's a theme that's very heavy on the album. And I think it's, yeah. it's near and dear to talent and it's, you know, it's near and dear to all of us in the band as well. When you think about the natural world and appreciating the natural world, you know, it's, it's no coincidence that one of the main conflicts or themes of the, the album is trying to restore balance in the mm. natural world when it starts to go awry. Um, you know, it, it's, it almost sounds familiar when you just think about our own existence here in the 21st century. Um, so I think having those sounds present in the album, it's, um, even though, you know, they're samples, we didn't necessarily go out and capture them ourselves. It's an important element of the, of the, of the album, the story, the themes, all of that stuff. Right. And you know, the question really arises also considering that it's a concept album, right? How much time was really spent on the sample selection? Because those could be, you know, the cool cherry topping or the weird pizza. On, I mean, sorry, the weird pineapple on pizza, right? Yeah. <laughs> hey, I I'm a Hawaiian was... fan. I resent that comment. But yeah, <laughs> me too. No, I, I absolutely love pineapple on pizza, man. It's same, the same. perfect thing along with some good meat. Oh, my God. It's yeah, the, man. It's the beautiful sweetness, man. Yeah. I, I I prefer it with ham, so yeah, I'm in also. <laughs> you gotta have it. I used to eat it with ham. I don't eat meat anymore, but uh, when I did eat meat, it was definitely pineapple and ham. The Hawaiian style, Hawaiian pizza. I wonder if they actually eat it like that in Hawaii or it just ended up being like some lost in translation <laughs> thing and they just resent that now. Yeah, Hawaiian. they must be like, oh no, man, this isn't. Yeah, it's like the, that, this that did isn't not come from Hawaii. That pizza can fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, you know, another talking point really is the excellent use of acoustic guitar. It doesn't feel forced, but all of it is just in a superb flow, which leads me to a slightly different talking point, right? Which is in this day and age of the almighty single. Uh, a concept album really forces the listener to listen to the whole album in a in one shot, right? Like you're you're telling the listener that hey, this is a story, and you have to hear this chapter to chapter. Um, is that the way you guys like to consume your music? And um, is that what you're expecting from the listener too? Um, I'll just I'll just speak quickly, and then I'll let Steve go. But. Uh... No, I don't actually consume my music like that. I love listening to full albums. And when, I feel like there's a time and a place for it. And you got to be able to really sort of sit there and take it all in. But like, mm -hmm. I'm also a victim of the times where it's like, I drive to work every day. I'm floating around on Spotify. I get stuck in traffic. I'm like, ah, fuck, I'm going to change this song. And I think, I think that's cool too. And, um, but one of my favorite things was always like taking a moment to actually like sit down and appreciate what you have. Like, it's almost like when you, take a vinyl record and you put it on. You're actually taking time to be present in that moment. Take some time sitting there, being alone with yourself, being alone with the music. And just like, I don't know, just being mindful, you know? Because I feel like we're so mindless these days and like that we're just switching stuff. We're trying to keep ourselves entertained. It's like flicking on social media. You got to be constantly entertained. And I think there's mm -hmm. a lot of value in being able to just sit down and sort of like just let yourself be taken somewhere and taking a few deep breaths. And that's why... I kind of wanted that to happen because I felt like in a way that I was almost going down the other road or not. It was almost therapeutic for me to do something like that. Okay. Is that something that uh, you guys expect from your listeners? No, I would say no. Um, I think it's really cool that uh, if 
if people want to take it all in in one shot. And I think that that's where the album would really shine. But I mean, we get people that are like, Spellblade's sick. Everything else sucks. They're like, that's cool too, you know? It's like, I mean, if you, like, we'll get people on Bandcamp, they'll just like buy one song and they're just like gone forever. I'm like, fuck, right on. Throw that on the playlist, man. You know, it's like, I mean, they're at least supporting the band. And like, I think if you can connect with one song on an album, there's plenty of albums out there where I love one song. And for that reason, I love the yeah. album. And I think that's cool too. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'll let you chime in, Steve. Honestly, I'm I'm a little I'm a little different. I am a I am a consummate album listener. I uh, don't have you never had Spotify. I don't have Apple Music. I am very meticulous when it comes to when if, if I'm buying music, I'm buying the album, and I'm not really willing to evaluate singles in a vacuum. You know, mm. if, if single is fantastic, but the album is lackluster, then that throws a lot of rust on the single for me. Um, I don't. I'm I'm definitely you know a, a, a big vinyl collector. Uh, it's my favorite format to listen to records, okay. and uh, and I've I found like even just growing up, a lot of the times if I liked a certain artist, I would find in a lot of cases that the B side songs did it just as much for me as as the singles did. In a lot of cases, I prefer to listen to the unknown songs, just maybe because they're they're not they haven't been kind of jammed down my throat. Um, so I'm definitely heavy on albums. And I think when we talk about the, the heavy metal community, um, you know, at least the market that we're, let's say, you know, hypothetically the most successful in, I think that a lot of metalheads are album listeners. And I, think that my, you know, my sentiment on things is probably not uncommon when it comes to, uh, you know, the heavy metal fans that we want to, you know, we want to bring our music to. Well, okay. They're talking to two guys in India who listen to your album back to back, right? Yeah, <laughs> nice. so having this conversation with you guys. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Okay, so uh, two questions. Since you mentioned Bandcamp, the first question really is, uh, what's the weirdest country from? Because Bandcamp allows you to track data, right? What's the weirdest uh, country that has bought your music? I don't know, Something like the weirdest, like, or the like, you completely didn't expect it. Yeah. Um, well, honestly, uh, there was a couple. There was someone in Thailand uh, a week, like uh, last week. We've had a couple guys or girls from India. Um, there was also uh, Iceland. It's just crazy. Um, Iceland was nuts. That one caught me off guard. And, and <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't. I don't. <laughs> were you gonna say, Steve? As did the shipping cost to Iceland. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we we got we got iced on that shipping cost. It was like, it was all it was really expensive to send it to Iceland. But we're like, you know what, we're cool. I can imagine. Um, yeah, it's really cool to actually anything anything outside of Canada has always tripped me out. Anything outside of Toronto, even I'm just like, whoa, there's someone over there listening to it. Like, it doesn't feel real. I guess because mm. most of our most of our success has has come through the online world. Like we played plenty of shows to like four people, you know, and like most of it is fans <laughs> all around the world that are just like they they keep us going. You know, I mean, we've played some pretty wicked shows, but it's always kind of a coin toss. But it's like that international community that has just like kept us going and kept us like wanting to just pump out better stuff. Okay. So since you spoke about shows, it kind of segues uh, uh, perfectly into my next question, which 
actually was meant to follow the previous question and the previous answer <laughs> that we spoke about about uh, albums and how we listen to them right um how will this record translate to the live setting when you know gigs eventually return and all of us can actually mosh without keeping social distancing norms etc uh do you guys end up playing the album as it's meant to be or yeah ha- have you guys thought that aspect through yeah for sure i think that's like steve you can get all over this one <laughs> <laughs> so he's saying that just because um you know my my partner she's a stagehand uh, here in the city and a lot of her friends are also you know involved in theater and live entertainment you know they're they're technical directors or they're um doing design work and stuff like that so yeah. i think uh, in just listening to her and, and some of the ideas that her and her friends have for the show kind of thinking about what um what the show could be because it is a concept and because you do want to do things that create an, a, an immersive effect for the listener um i think there's a lot of room for us to explore doing things that are theatrical i think playing it as a concept from start to finish is going to be a huge part of that i mean i think we're all just we're all just like going we're all going to go crazy right like it's going to be a renaissance of live entertainment when we're able to when we're able to do it again yeah. um i think every, every i haven't talked to a single person that doesn't feel like in some small way they maybe took those experiences for granted a little bit now that we're in a yeah it extremely prolonged stretch of time when we can't do it it's really revealed just how important it is especially when we're talking about metal because there's so much more to this genre of music and so much more to this community of people than just going to a show and you know waiting for a couple of singles to come on that you really liked off the radio it's um it's a lifestyle it's a state of mind so i i think we definitely want to ham it up you know i'm not saying we're going to have miniature stonehenges coming down from the rafters or <laughs> i just, was just about i was, <laughs> I was just about yeah, to say that like cool would it be to actually have like you know a hamilton esque kind of a setup rather than doing mini stonehenges dropping down oh that'd be so that'd be so cool there's going to be get... theatrics boys we've got suits of armor we've got you know okay, swords that's... and stuff we've got uh, we don't want it. Yeah, there's going to be a fine line between like great heavy metal experience and Monty Python. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we're hey, we're going to try to bring it. heavy metal here are our suits. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> heavy metal. <laughs> it's literally heavy metal. Fortunately, they're exactly. made out of corrugated plastic, so it, yeah. they're not too bad. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, we we've talked quite a bit about the album. Uh, we'd like to play a track from Adris right now. Which one should we play, and why? Cool. Damn man. I don't know. I kind of want to leave that up to you guys. What are you What are you guys digging? Like, I really you guys have any favorites? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I really right enjoy the the opening to that song. It's so like after that small interlude that happens, uh, track number three. This one just comes in full steam running. So, yeah. so yeah, I really enjoy that one. I I don't know, Peter. Do you have a favorite? Awesome. I would I would like if if given a choice I would end up playing the whole album but that wouldn't yeah. like do any justice <laughs> as such so so yeah which is why we we leave the question to the both of you okay um damn I don't know I feel like spellblade's been played skeleton king people have heard uh 
one of my faves off the album personally um i don't know if i can speak for steve i mean probably not but i've always liked keeper of the woods i thought that was kind of a cool one i feel like that was sort of like the passageway into the album for us steve steve did nobunaga right around the same time too um it's a great song too uh that one that one is disconnected from the story but still very much a part of the material we were writing uh yeah i don't know what do you think steve no, I think I think Keeper of the Woods. Um, you know, I love that you like that opening of Frostlitch because I I I love that passage too. I mean, mm-hmm. I have a lot of fun playing it, and I, it's a good time. But um, yeah, I think Keeper of the Woods is a good pick, and I think uh, Talon's absolutely right that that song was sort of this one of the songs that we had before we settled on the story and making it a concept record. And without that song, one could argue that maybe we never would have even arrived at. at Hmm. either the story itself or making a concept album so it's it's pretty it's pretty seminal as far as the uh, the album's concerned yeah i think that's a good pick all righty here it is
I have to ask you guys, I mean, uh, if you look at the last decade or so, right, there's been a revival of sorts in traditional heavy metal bands. I mean, we've got bands like Visigoth that we spoke about earlier, Eternal Champion. I mean, our, our listeners can't see, but right now Steve's wearing a smaller t-shirt. They've been uh, creating a buzz in the last couple of years. Uh, what are your thoughts on the entire scene so far? That's all you, Steve. I think you you answered this the other day pretty good. So, Well, I think it's so... I, it, it, there's a couple of waves, right? You, if you look at towards, you know, back in the the 2000s and getting into the early 2010s, you had, you know, just in the city alone, um, things were really cooking as far as traditional bands really starting up. And we had a lot of great ones right here in, in the city of Toronto. Uh, Skull Fist, Cauldron yeah. being the sort of the big two. I got those, those guys, you know, they kind of were the flag bearers for this thing. Yeah. Um, and they, there were a lot of bands that followed in their stead here in the city and, you know, elsewhere, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of ongoings in terms of traditional metal really making a comeback. I don't even know necessarily why that started to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, it's, it's hard to say. I think that the nineties are a tricky decade for metal. Yeah. Um, certainly for my favorite stuff, when I think about power metal, you know, I can only think of a handful of bands through the nineties that were really bringing the goods, um, in terms of, you know, the stuff that I really like. So maybe that set the stage for there to be kind of a resurgence of bands that wanted to to play in that older style. Mm. I think that you could probably make a demographic argument that you have the, you know, the sons and daughters of parents that grew up uh, through the eighties <laughs> that were kind of, you know, they're sort of the children of people that reveled in that period of time. And yeah. uh, they were probably exposed to a lot of those sounds growing up. And that absolutely has a part to do with it. I think recently, just in terms of epic metal, it's really something you're seeing a lot more of. And it's it's almost like you see a lot of this. This might be a bit of a stretch, a bit of a stretch pass here. But I think one of the theories I might have is that the taboo around being a kind of a nerd and being into nerdy stuff has really dissipated. You know, like, yeah, yeah. it's not it's not strange to go and see a Marvel Comics film in the theater anymore. It's this kind of stuff has become, uh, you know, how many people do you know today that are playing Dungeons and Dragons? Like it's, you know, just always been around, but it's now come back and it's no longer something that you're afraid to admit to. It's like, yeah, hell yeah, I played D&D. It's awesome. Um, mm. And I think that, that all, that's all maybe got a, a part to do with it as well. Um, but there's just one thing is always going to be true when you have amazing bands that are kind of, they come out of nowhere and they set the tone. Um, you know, whether we're talking about Eternal Champion, um, we're talking about Visigoth for sure. I'm a big fan of Visigoth as well. Uh, that sort of brings the other folks out of their caverns and, and, you know, it demonstrates that there's an audience for this kind of stuff. And it's really inspiring to see the success of those bands, all the ones that I've mentioned. I know that moving to Toronto, one of the things I was most excited about was being able to go and see these bands live. And mm-hmm. I met, I met legions of people that had the same mentality about heavy metal that, um, you know, I, I like a lot of different kinds of metal. Um, I, there's really not a subgenre I don't really like, but, uh, to find that many people that are, you know, excited about eighties power metal, you know, it's, it's awesome. For sure. Hmm. What's, you know, what's, what's, what's really weird is, uh, you mentioned the place and, Another talking point has become of how uh, Canada itself seems to be the home to 
so many bands in the recent past that do this sound or do this kind of uh, this brand of heavy metal of sorts really well. Um, why do you think that's happening? Is it something in the weather? Is it just coincidence? Or is it, as you said, just the fact that there seems to be an acceptance and a scene of like-minded people coming together and celebrating this kind of sound? Yeah, um, I think like largely a part of it, like uh, me and Steve were, were talking about this a while ago, where it's like, I think Canada is like extremely large. There's a lot of like forests. There's a lot of really nice scenery. It's kind of like, it's it's like a vast expanse of like epic things. And like, yeah. <laughs> um, I think like that generally sets some inspiration for people. But like, I think it's also like, I'm, I'm not even sure how it rippled across, but I like, mm. from what I recall, I feel like it really like, really started to take off when Skullfist like sort of burst into the scene and like they were like you know what it's cool to do this shit you know it's like cool to like grow your hair long wear skin tight pants and fucking play heavy metal and like I feel like that was like it almost took the world by storm in a sense like I mean you had goat horn cauldron were around the same time too um but like at least for me it seemed like I was like witnessing that just sort of like ripple across and it's sort of just like it opened it up where like people like, you know what? We don't have to play metal chord to be heavy, you know? And, I'm and glad it's just you said like, that. <laughs> yeah. And like, I saw it sort oh, of happening word. and like, yeah. But like, I mean, it, it was like, that's what, what everyone was listening to when I was younger. And it's like, I even was listening to it for a while. And then, and then as I started getting out of it, it was just like, it almost felt like a breath of fresh air. Cause like, it was kind of all that was being offered if you didn't yeah. know where to look. Some people were really good at digging deep, but like some people was just like, you know what, this is cool. I'm going to listen to it. And then like after a while, it was like, yo, check this out. We play in a heavy metal band and this is fucking cool. And then people were like, you know what, I dig this sound because like it kind of it stems from classic rock, 70s rock, and it's not too far off it. And it's pretty accessible, not like death metal or anything like that, where it's like you almost you, you have to like crave that extreme sense of, I don't know, just like intensity you know it's like heavy metal is not that intense in my opinion it's pretty accessible and uh, it has so many different facets you can explore so i completely understand what you're talking about because i lived in toronto in the mid 2000s uh, yeah so i know exactly what you're talking about where you had the whole metal core and death core uh, thing going on but i, I, I can't <laughs> even imagine like uh, seeing a imagine passing by you guys and being like, wait, there's a guy with long hair and leather going around. Because you knew those like 10 or 20 people out there, right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, what's next? I mean, you've talked quite a bit uh, to you guys about the album and all, but considering we're in the last month of the year, what's next for Possessed Steve? I mean, I hope we don't have to wait too long to hear new music from them. So do you guys have any plans so far? Yeah, um, we were talking about it. We were like, really, we're kind of riding a high right now because like the the response to this album has been like pretty overwhelming to say the least. And we were not expecting anything like this. And it's it's really humbling and it's like warmed our hearts to just see people like really enjoying the music with it in some way and just reading comments, seeing the support coming out and like we're kind of riding that high. And I've been feeling super creative after it because it's sort of like, not that we really ever like search for it, but it sort of validates what you're doing. Yeah. And 
And it's like, you know what, maybe we are headed in a direction that's, that's good, or at least good enough for us, you know, and uh, we want to continue writing. And we've all been talking about, you know, like I'm writing new riffs, like Steve's sitting on some stuff. Don wants to play Richard's excited. So it's like, we're just, we're just going to ride it and we're going to keep creating and we're not going to let any of it fucking get to our heads or we're going to put out something like Saint Anger. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> hey, hey! I, I may have something to say about that. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like we 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 need to end up doing that doing that episode of sorts because I keep like right from the day we started we started doing the podcast. One of the one of the constant uh, topics that we end up discussing that hey we have to do it is basically my love for Saint Anger. <laughs> oh yeah i'd love to hear it you know man i only ever hear people shitting on it i would love to hear yeah. like your views on why it's good i'd be down to what check website? it out there was a website that had a yeah. specific article called defend your shitty taste and yeah. stuff like <laughs> stuff like cold lake by celtic frost would come up and i think saint anger was one saint of the anger albums done on that too yeah it's i think not- it was a decibel series yeah, yeah, I think yeah, it's yeah. You're right. Yeah. yeah, and by the end of that article, I was kind of like, you know what? That's fair. Yeah, I mean, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> I mean, music. Up, right? There's there. I'm not going to say that there isn't anything that's not objectively shit because they're flat out, out right. Like music is not just. I'm not going to be that guy. That's it's art and it's subjective and anybody can. <laughs> um, there's there's degrees of that, but. I don't know. As long as you're, as long as you're raising points and and bringing evidence to the to the table, then what the hell, you know? Like, it, sure, maybe Saint Anger's the the hidden cult classic we just we've neglected all these years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll be. I'll be really surprised though if like forty years down the line or hundred years down the line, that's the record which people go like, oh my god, if it wasn't for this, Metallica wouldn't have been as big as it was right now or something. <laughs> created I, some new I know. <laughs> I, I, I can't. I can't wait for my son, like in ten or fifteen years, when he gets into heavy metal, be like, "Hey, Dad, did you ever hear Metallica Saint Anger?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Followed by the Lulu album, and we'll all go like, "What the oh, collective man. shit is wrong with our kids?" <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. Um, okay. No. So um, here's the thing, right? You're you're riding out this wave, etc. You're feeling creative. Um, is there what what really then becomes the next ambition of sorts? Is it, as you guys said, to write a killer a sequel to Idris, or is it, um, I, I I I don't know what's what's the next big thing that you guys have set as a benchmark for yourselves to top? Uh, well, we talked about doing another album naturally. Mm, yeah. Um, we kind of toyed with the idea, I think, of doing another EP, but I don't want to do another EP because I feel like we're plagued by EPs. So it's like, <laughs> uh, but honestly, maybe we will. Who the hell knows, man? It's like, it depends on like our circumstances, how busy we are, what we want to do. Maybe we're sitting on four really good songs and I don't want ever want to be like, you know what, let's write a few more just to get this album done. It's just, I love that. Yeah. It depends like what comes out and how we feel about the material. And if, if we're really passionate about it and it's only four of it, then we're going to do another EP. But uh, it's definitely going to be in the same universe, I would say. 
And uh, I don't know, we, we kind of want to do more stuff. Like, I mean, we've been talking about doing some acoustic covers, like really doing them up big and putting them on our YouTube channel and just kind of having some fun with it, you know, and being a band. And just that's so refreshing yourself. to hear. That's so refreshing to hear because then what it seems to tell me is the fact that you guys really aren't, you guys are really looking at this as a band and as a collective of people who enjoy playing music rather than looking this as a, uh, you know, I have to get like I have to write my album in once every two years and I have to then after that uh, end up doing tours, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Like it doesn't seem like this yeah. is and like, I, I don't know why it's weird for me to say that, but it doesn't seem like a business. It actually yeah. seems like a passion. Totally. Yeah. We don't none of us. None of us depend on the band for our livelihood, um, which is very freeing when it, it comes to um, the maybe debunking some of the pressures that you might mm -hmm. have if you were you were leaning into the band as a source of your as a source of income it's you know the old saying is you've got your whole life to write your first album in two years to do your second <laughs> and it's um i think that that's you know if you don't have anything to say and you're not personally convinced by your own output then what makes you think your fans are gonna like it you know one of the coolest things that as disappointing as it, as it might have been but you, you guys know that band in solitude yeah they're, um, they only put out a couple of records and they were incredible albums, like some of the best, mm. some of the best stuff. And then they, they folded, they just called it quits. And everybody was like, what the hell? Like you're critically acclaimed. Everybody loves your stuff. And they just very plainly agreed that they just didn't feel like they were going to be able to continue that quality of output. So they called it a day. And I have, I have a ton of respect for that. I think I'd much rather see a band take, you know, another 10 years to put out something that's meaningful and that um they really believe in you know momentum counts for something i don't think it's something you want to waste but i don't feel like we're gonna fall into the trap of by default we need to have another album out we'll just have to see you know i know we're, we want to challenge ourselves and we want to delve into maybe a bit more of a progressive sound and, and pepper some of that into the music a bit um so we'll see you know we're going to be experimenting and just trying different things and seeing what comes loose Excellent. I think that's a awesome. perfect note to kind of end this chat for the moment because, hey, tell you what, I'll make you guys an offer or we'll make you guys an offer. Uh, whenever the next album comes out from Possessed Tale, you guys are talking about it on Horns Up because we both absolutely love this album and we can't wait right. to hear new music. Whenever right on, man. We're looking forward to thank it. You, thank you both so much. Yeah, that's, the, yeah. you know, like Talon said, we're, we're overwhelmed that people uh, like it as much as they, they have. And, you know, it's really humbling for us. And, uh, you know, to be able to come on and, and do an interview with you, you gentlemen on Horns Up. <laughs> Hell yeah, we'd love to do it again. And uh, just can't thank you enough for, for having us on tonight. I think that itself is my highlight of the entire chat. Sure, music is a business. And it needs to be, but first and foremost, it's art. And anyone and almost everyone can somehow tell when art is authentic. Possessed steel, you guys are authentic AF. And that no one can deny. Yep, that totally, man. I mean, I really enjoyed that chat, especially the latter part where they were talking about, you know, just the whole process of making music. I mean... Uh, I don't know. It, 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 of course, you can be a little idealistic about it and all, but uh, 
yeah, that, that's like a great attitude and a great way to look at it. Okay, so what are you guys listening to? Yes, it's that month and yup, we will be sharing our lists at the end of the month. Does Idris find the spot on it? Hmm, answer that question. You can reach us at hauntsupport.com or through the Twitter machine at hauntsupport. As always, I'm at Asmoani. I'm at Trend Crusher. And this is Horns Up. Horns Up, guys.